Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Greetings, friends. Would you please grab your Bibles and open to Psalm 27? Um, I'm really grateful to be here with you all today, especially with my daughter, Glory, on the front row. Hey, sweetheart. I'm glad you're here. Um, Hey, it's customary at this point for me to tell you a a lot of awesome things about uh, Pastor Derek and Pastor Steve and Ramon and the staff here and the team here, but I'm not going to do that. I know it's breaking tradition or whatever. This is where I'm just supposed to let you know um, how great they are. Here's why I'm not going to do that, because you already know. You already know how dope these people are, how they serve you and love you, how they've taken care of you, how they have been praying for you, particularly during this season. And I just want to share something with you. You know a ton of stuff about these men and women who serve your church that they can easily forget. You know a lot about the ways that they have impacted your life and your story and given you clarity about who Jesus is. They've come alongside of you in your marriage and your families. And I can just share with you, this has been a wearisome road that pastors and elders and leaders of local churches have walked through through this pandemic. To be sure, it's been weary for all of us. Pastors are not special, but that's what you need to remind them. It's okay to be human. It's okay to be a human being, to suffer and to be weak, because you're loving us well and we're grateful for you. And so I'm just going to take that custom and just ask that you would reverse it, spin it, and reverse it, or something like that. That's like a cool hip-hop thing to say, I think. Right, Steve? He's my hip-hop consultant. Um, But anyway... I I just want you to encourage them. Take some time this week. Let them know the ways that God has impacted uh, you through their ministry and friendship and leadership here in this church because I know they have been great friends uh, to me and my family and love them dearly. And a baby soon. Any minute now, Steve, right? Man, come on. Any minute now. Any minute now. Um, With that being said, I I hear that we stand out of reverence for God's word up in this place, so please stand up. We'll read Psalm 27. I will pray, and then we will get to work. Psalm 27, it's in the middle of the Bible, so if you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, you can either look at the table of contents or open to the middle, and the Psalms are right there in the middle. We'll be in chapter 27, or if you have a fake Bible, just type in Psalm 27, and we will be there together. This is the word of the Lord, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp around me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. 
Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are incredibly desperate and some of us don't even know it. I often try to deceive myself like I got this. And yet your word is so clear. We are a people in great need. Not just for the salvation of our souls, but daily for every breath, every thought, every deed, every action. We are desperate and dependent upon you. And so I pray by your spirit, would you build strength in these my sisters and brothers today? Would you, would you bring hope? Would you bring peace not because a word was delivered just so, but because a word is true from you. Help us, Father, to be built upon the rock that your Son promised to build your church upon, the very identity of the Son of the living God. So anchor us in this word today. None of us is above it. None of us is beside it. We are all underneath and submit ourselves to your word. So help us to not just hear it, but to obey and do it for your glory, our good. Everybody agreed and said, amen. You may be seated. Well, today, by God's grace, I want to talk with you about waiting. And I want to, to be completely honest. I don't like this subject. This is not my favorite subject. In fact, it's probably one of my least favorite subjects that is, comes up in the scriptures. And to be sure, we've all been through a massive season of waiting, haven't we? And I hated every minute of it. To be sure, I know what I'm supposed to say is I saw God show up. He was really gracious. But this has been hard. This has been really, really hard. Some people on TikTok are like, well, we'll make some lemonade out of lemons, I guess. And I'm just like, really? Like, this is hard. This is a really hard situation that we're in. And what I've realized these past 18 months, what I hate the most about waiting, because that's what this has been, what I hate the most about waiting is that it tells me the truth about myself. That's really hard. Because isn't it true? Have you ever come to the end of waiting? It's joyful. You're generous. You were waiting for that paycheck, and all of a sudden, you've got everybody's lunch that day, right? Because now that bank account says you can buy anything. You're not waiting anymore, and something begins to happen. We forget how much we needed God just a couple of moments previously. See, in these past 18 months of waiting, something about this season has shown me that I am way more angry than I thought I ever could be. Something about this season has shown me my selfishness in ways that I would hate to admit to you. Something about waiting exposes an utter weakness that I don't want anyone to know is true about me. Waiting tells us the truth about ourselves, and I can't stand it. <laughs> exposes us, reveals things about us. It turns us into something, I think, as we all see this anger or selfishness or weakness, it turns us into these unsatiable consumers 
we will consume anything that promises to take us out of the waiting. Because isn't it true, I don't want anybody to tell me why I'm waiting and why I might be waiting and what's going on in the waiting. I just want the waiting to stop. And so anything that tells me the waiting can stop, I'll go after that. That's my truth. Tell me that. That's what I want. See, today I want to talk to you about waiting because in the middle of our waiting, I believe that the world is preaching a sermon to your soul. The prevailing culture and even in our flesh, there is something that is preached to us, announced to us, something that our itching ears desire to hear. And the sermon notes go something like this. You are special. You are unique. You are powerful. You don't deserve to be waiting. That's not who you are. Often, it offers us even self-gratifying shortcuts as application points in this sermon. Here's how you get out of waiting. Here's why you don't need to wait. Here's why this is no good for you and you don't deserve this. Here's your way out. You see, what we think we need in the middle of waiting, I think if we're really honest, is we need self-assurance. We need self-esteem to be bolstered. We just need the discomfort to end and someone to come around and tell us about us. But the Bible teaches us something very different. The Bible teaches us something that's fundamentally different about what we actually need. See, in particular, Psalm 27 is going to teach us that what we really need is God. Now, before you jaded Christian listeners hear that and just go, I've heard that before. I know I need God. The scriptures never ask you, have you heard that before? The scriptures are constantly asking you, do you believe it? Jesus was never going around going, you heard this story before? I think it's kind of interesting. What is he constantly asking his disciples and anyone who hears him? Do you believe? My brothers and sisters, what you need most, what I need most in waiting is God. Do you believe it? Do you believe he is all you need? See, waiting is supposed to tell you the truth about yourself. It's why God designed it this way and designed us this way. It's supposed to expose your anger. It's supposed to expose your selfishness. It's supposed to expose your weakness. Why? Because waiting is meant to point you to your greatest need, God. See, waiting is meant to tell us the truth about ourselves so that we will hear our greatest need and know the truth of our greatest need is God himself. This, I believe, is the message of Psalm 27. And a psalm is like a good song. It's, it's like music or poetry. And so we, we come to a psalm differently than we would to a New Testament epistle, like you've been experiencing in Hebrews. As I heard uh, Ramon, one of your pastoral residents, explain really in a helpful way from Hebrews 10 last week. We zoom into New Testament epistles, and we look at a word, and we talk with preachers about a word for like 15 minutes, right? Forgive us. It's awesome, but forgive us for this. We'll go line by line through that mug, right? But a psalm, we step back. We behold the entire picture. We, we get a vision for the entire canvas of the painting that a psalmist is painting for us with words and emotions. In many respects, a psalm is like a cathedral of words, and the psalmist is inviting you to step in and just behold and to look in utter awe and worship. That's not to say we don't learn truths about God that are very specific and clear and helpful. It's just to say we learn them in a different way. This is what Psalm 27 is all about. And David is the writer. 
David was the second king of Israel, a shepherd turned king, in fact, the kind of guy that we would never look at and say, there goes a really great king. And yet the Lord says, he is after my own heart. And David is in this familiar space, familiar to any of us who believe in the God of the Bible. See, there is something that we know to be true in our heads and hearts, isn't there? Something that we trust about God's character. There is something we have read in our Bibles, perhaps we've heard preached from a sermon, that we've sung in a song, that we've read about in a book. There is something we have experienced in our own lives, in our past, something which has perhaps informed us for the very first time about God's grace and God's love and God's power and God's goodness and God's mercy. And yet... Despite everything we know, despite everything that we have experienced, there is this space where we meet new opposition. We meet silence. We meet a need for a new job, a deeper longing for friendship. We face a new moment, a greater need, a fresh adversity and challenge and sorrow. And here lies the great burden of the Christian life. The great burden of the Christian life is simply this, reading a truth in the scriptures and waiting for it to be fulfilled in our lives and time. Reading something about the promises of God and waiting for those promises to be fulfilled. This is the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's reading about how God is our provider and yet looking at our bank account getting closer and closer to zero. It's about knowing that God is our shelter and our refuge, but we can't find a place we can afford to rent. It's about knowing that God is a very present help in time of trouble, but what I need right now is a husband. I need a wife. I desire children. This is what I want, that God is my father, and yet the father that I had, no. Are you tracking with me, church, that the great weight of the Christian life is reading the truths of Scripture and longing and hoping and waiting for them to be realized in our lives and our time? David is in that space. Jesus' disciples were even in that space. You know, we often think that if I was the disciples, like with Jesus all the time, I'd never doubt. I'd always believe. When you read the disciples, they are doubting and disbelieving all the time. Because the disciples are not meant to be like these superhero Christians for us to follow their examples. They're meant to to reveal things about us. They're meant to go, ah. Just like James and John, I would have sent my mom up and asked Jesus for the seats at the left and the right. Like, that's me. That owns my story. Right? Peter denying Jesus three times ago, that's a bad example. Let's not do that. No, we already did. Right? Are you picking up what I'm throwing down? The disciples actually reveal something about us. David is revealing something about us in this space of waiting. Because see, we as a church now follow in the wake of the Davids and the disciples and take up this space that is as much a touchstone of our faith as anything, waiting. Here's what I'm saying to you and why I believe that God has brought me here today. is to simply say this, the people of God are a people who wait. The people of God are a people who wait. And I don't like that. I don't want to do that. And I think the psalmist really helps us to understand that. Because you see, to be a Christian is to wait. Few things describe our faith better than waiting. The writer of Hebrews tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. In other words, I'm waiting for what I'm hoping for. I am waiting for something that is unseen. See, big picture, we are waiting for the return of Christ. How many of you desire for Jesus to come back and set all of this to rights? I do. In fact, every little, without even knowing it, we are are just made this way. 
Wherever there's dissatisfaction and pain, that's a longing for Jesus to return. It's a longing for him to come back and bring healing and hope and joy and flourishing. This is what we do big picture, and yet daily we wait for peace. We wait for provision. Some of you are waiting for joy. You've been depressed for months. You read that God is a joyful God, and yet you have not felt the joy of the Lord in a long time. We wait for help. To be a Christian is to wait. See, contrary to popular presumption, waiting is not inaction or apathy. David, in his waiting, is taking action. And in particular, David wrote a psalm while he is waiting. He wrote this psalm and many other psalms in the middle of his waiting. But notice what he does in particular in this chapter. Everything he says and does builds to this crescendo or this plea and this proclamation. He even moves from the past tense into the present on into the future. Look again with me, verses 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. David is commanding his soul to believe something. He is training his heart to wait for the Lord, to be strong, to take courage in God. May I suggest to you that as the world is preaching to you in the middle of your waiting, as the world is whispering things to you and saying things to you, I'd like to offer to you Psalm 27 as David preaching to himself. And in our waiting, we are to preach to ourselves as well. I'd like to consider Psalm 27 as David's sermon manuscript of what he speaks to himself, of what he preaches to his soul in the middle of waiting. In it, we will find content, the specific content of what he preaches to himself as he waits upon the Lord. He's got three movements, like every good preacher, right? Three movements. In verses 1 through 3, David praises the Lord. In verses 4 through 6, David confesses to the Lord. And in verses 7 through 12, David cries out to the Lord. So he praises, he confesses, and he cries out. While we wait, I think we are compelled by the Scriptures to do the same. While we wait for the last restrictions to, by God's grace, be dropped, we wait with praise, confession, and crying out. While we wait for our kids to go back to school full time and to have some time away from them, by God's grace, I love them, but they're a hustle. I've got four, right? Your prayers are very much appreciated. While we await much deserved and needed rest, we praise, we confess, we cry out. While we wait for more work, for more meaningful work, while we wait for marriage and children and peace to come to our extended family, even while we wait in lines, we praise, we confess, and we cry out. And it's good to get familiar with these rhythms because something happens in the middle of our waiting, we think like forever rest is right around the corner. Like as soon as this thing's done, we'll never have to wait again. To be a Christian is to wait. Therefore, we should get very familiar with the rhythms of praising and confessing and crying out because we're going to be doing it for a while, right? So this is who we are. And the difference between the Christian in the middle of, the, of waiting and, and the rest of the world who does not know and has not experienced what we have experienced is that in our waiting, we do not sit idly by distracting ourselves from pain and numbing ourselves with various sins and addictions and entertainment. What do we do? We preach to ourselves. 
We preach the gospel to ourselves and each other because my brothers and sisters, we do not just wait. What does the text say? We wait on the Lord. We are not just waiting meaninglessly. We are not waiting nebulously like we don't know when it's all going to be over. We are waiting on the Lord. And as the old preacher used to say, he's never late. When you wait on the Lord, he is never late. He's never even hustling to make it to an appointment. He is always arriving right on time with not a single bead of sweat on his brow, and he's not even checking his watch because he holds all of time in his hands. He's never late. When you wait on the Lord, you'll never be disappointed because he's never late. Let's look more closely at these three movements to help us, and I pray to help us in our waiting, praising, confessing, and crying out. In his opening, David praises the Lord for his work and his character. Notice verses 1 through 3, how he speaks of who God is and then what God has done in and for him. The Lord is my light and my salvation, David says. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes? It is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. David speaks about the Lord as his light and his salvation, as his stronghold, the stronghold of his life. But these are not just doctrinal ideas that are swimming around in his head. These are very personal understandings of the ways that God has been faithful to him. See, every aspect of God's character is vital for any believer who is waiting with hope in the middle of fear. And that's what makes David's comments actually quite ironic. Why? Because when do we say stuff to ourselves and to each other, of whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? Well, I I think we often speak like this when we have a really good reason to be afraid. When we have something right in front of us of which is actually quite terrifying. We tell ourselves and others that we don't have to be fearful when we are battling fear. See, remember, David is preaching to himself. And in this particular moment, I think it's quite aspirational. In other words, he he is saying, I long to be a person who is not fearful. I long to be a person who is not afraid. I'm going to preach this truth to my heart, to my soul, that I would have courage and faith in the middle of a battle, a battle that he is waging in the middle of waiting in fear. He's waiting. He then speaks in the past tense about opposition and enemies who stumbled and fell when they tried to take him out. Could have been one of the many times that Saul was out to get him. And because he saw the Lord's faithfulness to him, in those moments, this is what he reminds himself, my heart shall not fear. I will be confident because of who God is and what God has done. He is preaching hope to himself by praising God. He is preaching hope to himself by praising God. Now, preaching is a team sport, and I hear a couple of you kind of get that, because I've already heard you this morning. Praise God. It adds five minutes every time I hear an amen, so just heads up on that. (laughs) But isn't it true, in the middle of our waiting, sometimes we don't have the words. We're forgetful. This is why being in a group Being in a church family is so instrumental to our spiritual formation because I need someone in my life to say, I was there when this happened. When you didn't think that you could pay for that next meal, girlfriend, I was there 
when God delivered for you. I was there when you were longing to have children. And here as a child, I was there when you were wondering if your mom was going to be healed and, and God healed her. I was there when you lost that loved one and you never thought you would get out of depression. God met you in the valley of the shadow of death and you didn't have to fear any evil. We need help preaching to ourselves sometimes because we forget what God has done. And so good brothers and good sisters in the middle, when I'm having a hard time preaching to myself, you're supposed to preach to my soul. You're supposed to remind me about who God is. You're supposed to remind each other because you were there. Because isn't it true? This is like spiritual gaslighting, right? Like we forget in the middle of this and we start questioning things about God. And in fact, we are so confused. Let's make it plain. When we are waiting, it's a common impulse to want to be encouraged about who we are and what we can do. That is the exact thing you do not need, sister, that you do not need, brother. Psalm 27 is not a ballad of positive thinking and self-assurance and self-esteem. See, I just want all of the waiting to end, and in the meantime, would you just make me feel good, right? In the middle of waiting, it's uncomfortable, so at least let me feel good in the middle of my waiting. Tell me something about me, like, Jason, you're, you're really a special snowflake. You're, you're different than everybody else. Nobody is like you. We love you so much. God would never abandon you because you're awesome, right? We think all of God's work and wonder is centered on me. And so in our waiting, what do I want? Encourage me. Help me. Tell me about me. That's not what you need. You need God. I need God. I need to be desperate for God. That's why he's calling you into a season of waiting, to break you up and disentangle you and liberate you from a self-centered worldview of your own spiritual formation. You need God, and so do I. David is reminding himself to wait with faith by praising God, by affirming what God has done, who he has been, and often, church, we need each other in that. To remind ourselves, to remind one another Here's what God has done. Here's who he is. Here's where he has been present and a very present help in time of trouble. So in our waiting, we praise God and then we confess to the Lord. Keep in mind, confession is not just about admitting sin. Confession is about walking in the light. Confession isn't just about bringing something to someone and said, I did this thing that was wrong or I failed to do this thing that was good. It's about agreeing with God in all things. Confessional living, then, leads us to more than just exposing our sins, but exposing our longings and our desires. And this is what David does next. He's making himself vulnerable and known before God. So after praising, David confesses his deepest longings to the Lord. Look at Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Part of preaching himself out of fear to a renewed trust in God is about confessing his desires, his longings. Here's why this is hard in the middle of waiting. Let's just be real. If I confess what I desire, I open myself up to disappointment. 
Right? If I'm truly known at the level of desires, and James 1 is really clear, we are not just a people who confess sin because it is a desire that gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, what? Produces death. So we as a people confess desires. We confess longings. We, we bring those things into the light, and that's exposing. That's hard. Because a friend may go, really, that's what you want? That's dumb. Really, that's what you want? That's really selfish. Really, that's what you want? That'll never happen. Right, so we open ourselves up when we confess our longing, and yet David courageously exposes what he truly desires, and he says, I desire to be the house of the Lord in the presence of the God, so, in presence of God. So, he, church, where is safety? Where is is the place of comfort? Where, where is fear? Remember, he's, he's grappling with fear and being afraid, and he longs to be in the one place in all of creation where fear is driven away, the presence of the Lord. He says, I long to be in one place, the very presence of the Lord. And so he speaks of one thing. He asks the Lord for this one thing, which motivates and drives him at his very core. He longs to be in the house of the Lord or the temple of of the Lord. Now, if we're not careful, that may sound really lame, right? I'm a pastor. I've given my life to this thing we call church, and many of you have as well, but it doesn't sound awesome to have five songs, a few prayers, tithes and offering, take communion, and hear someone preach for 45 minutes just on repeat forever, all over and over again, right? I know that's not a really cool thing to say as we're doing this, but let's just be real. That's not exactly the thing that I go, yes, yes, but I vote yes to that. That's what I want forever, so what's David really talking about? Is he like, save me a front row seat forever in a worship gathering? Maybe, but there's something actually more beautiful than that. There's something more beautiful than just this never-ending Sunday service, just looking at the Lord all the day long and just going, wow, you're beautiful. See, when the Bible speaks about the beauty of the Lord, it's not just talking about the divine aesthetics. Right? Psalm 90, verse 17 says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The word rendered in Psalm 90, favor, is the same word for beauty in Psalm 27. So when David longs to behold the beauty of the Lord, and he long, what he's longing for is to see the power of God and the works of his hands, which empower the works of the hands of his people. See, God is always working in our waiting and calling us to be a people at work as we wait upon him to renew our strength, is what Isaiah 40 verse 31 tells us. We are then lifted up, David says, and set upon a rock. We shout with joy and give our lives as a melody unto the Lord. Here's what David is talking about. This is wild. He's talking about a purposefulness in the middle of his restfulness. He's talking about a purposefulness in the middle of his restfulness. He wants to be in the presence of the Lord, but he wants to behold the works of God. How can we have both? To dwell in the presence of God in safety, and yet to be purposeful, equipped, empowered by God to do the works of God? This tension, purposefulness yet restfulness, was, I think, summarized best by Mother Pollard. She was an elder at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, along with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks. She was instrumental in the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955 and 56. She walked everywhere during this time. Though she had a constant decline and a feeble condition, and she was advanced in age, she constantly walked everywhere as she marched for justice. 
And in summary of her struggle and her faith and hope in God, she famously said, my feet is tired, but my soul is at rest. My feet is tired, but my soul is at rest. This is a woman who is purposeful in her waiting. What was she waiting for? Justice, love, mercy, grace, redemption, reconciliation. She is waiting for all of these things, and in many respects, we still long for what Mother Pollard longed for, and yet she said as she waited and as she worked, she was at rest. Though her waiting was not in vain, we still long for this in our churches, don't we? We still long for this in our country, in our world. And this is the elusive condition, though, that makes a home in the life of a Christian. We are in the middle of great battle, but in Christ we are at the very same moment able to dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon his beautiful works. This beholding then strengthens us in the work. It empowers us to rate. We are paradoxically purposeful in the work of God that he has for us, yet we are hidden in the shelter in the day of trouble. So I'd like to suggest to you that when you are in Christ, you are always in worldly trouble, yet you are always divinely protected. Think about that. You are always in trouble. You've always got work to do, and yet you are always protected. You are always at rest. Meaning, because of God's call to holiness and justice, two things that our broken and fallen world loathe and they are pushing up against. We are always undone, therefore. We are always seeking to see this world remade and renewed, including our own hearts. However, we never take this full burden on our own shoulders. Rather, we remain confident that it is the Lord who faithfully completes every work that he begins. He is the one who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's how Paul puts it in Philippians 1 and 2. So we are purposeful, yet we're at rest. Our feet might be tired, but our soul is at rest. That's what we confess. This is the longing we allow to come into the light, and we agree with God. So in our, in our waiting, we praise the Lord, we confess to the Lord, and finally we cry out to the Lord. That's verses 7 through 12. See, in many respects, 1 through 6 is a full psalm. It's a complete psalm. And in fact, if David left it just so, we would describe this as a psalm of testimony or a testimony psalm. This is a story, essentially, about how David has acknowledged the works of God and praised him and given thanks for what he has done. Surprisingly, though, David keeps going, right? Like every good preacher, when you think he's done, he's got like seven more verses, right? He turns this psalm almost into a lament. So it goes from this testimony psalm almost into a lament. Watch this happen in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, I do, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathed out violence. I think verses 1 through 6 is like the first half of the pandemic. Verses 1 through 6 is like the first half of, half of the pandemic. It's almost as if we're like, okay, 
We've praised God, we've confessed to him, we've let him know about our desires. We've said he is our light and our salvation and our stronghold. We sang songs through Zoom. That was hard, but we did it, Jesus, right? We gathered in groups digitally. We made this joyful noise unto him through the internet, right? We served our neighbors, we grieved, we worked hard, we waited, we did exactly as you told us, but we still had to wait. So we say, like David, Hear me when I cry aloud. There is this desperation and even deeper weariness that begins to set in. Though early on in our struggle and waiting, we were confident God was listening, right? Now we say stuff like, be gracious to me. Answer me. We're doing what you told us to, right? We, you said seek your face. Well, your face do I seek. We, we got it. We said the verse. We believed the verse. We lived the verse. We're seeking your face. It's really hard. We still had to wait. I think it's when we don't hear or see God and see him respond in the way that we expect or want that we stop remembering his work and his character. In fact, we start questioning the very fundamental ideas about who God is and what makes him God. Isn't this interesting? We don't question some obscure doctrine. We question his love. We question his existence. We question his word as if he does not speak to us. We question the very fundamental things about who he is. We do what C.S. Lewis described as doubting in the dark what was never questioned in the light. Or as another 17th century Scottish Presbyterian put positively, Christ charges us to believe his daylight at midnight. That's hard. You see, we're prone to doubt in quarantine what we never would have questioned pre-pandemic. Am I preaching to you yet? There are questions we asked of God and even things we said to God in the middle of the pandemic that we criticized other people for thinking and believing before the pandemic. Right? I know I did as a pastor. I oh, you have little faith. And then I'm like, I don't believe any of this. Right? Because you can work a plan for six months. You can work a plan for six months. You need faith. 18, for two years, for however long this is. And I know that is not a fun thing to even think about. I only, I want to wait, but only like just enough so it counts. You know what I mean? Like does it say, I got numbered with the Christians and I suffered a little bit, but really, just give me the house. Just give me that car. Give me that girlfriend. Give me those kids. Give me that white picket fence. My kids used to call it a park in front of the suburbs, right? It's not a yard, it's a park. It looks massive to city kids. Like, give me that. That's what I want. I don't want to suffer anymore. We start saying things like, are you angry with me, God? Are you hiding your face from me? Are you casting me off? See, there is this level of questioning that some of the most fundamental things about who God is when we are waiting. But this is human, isn't it? This is what we do. This is, this is what we're doing. In fact, I think often we take it a step even further than David. See, because at least David is still talking to God. He's still crying out. Some of us are so weary in our waiting that we haven't spoken to God in a very long time. In fact, even being in this space is really hard. Gathering with your church family took everything you possibly had this morning. David is still reaching out. See, I think one of the reasons that this happens is we lose our sense of worship 
in the middle of, of waiting. Because remember that, that sermon that the world is preaching to us. You're special. You don't deserve this. This is all about you. Get angry at God because he doesn't give us a shortcut out of the waiting. Seems like God wants something more than to end your waiting. He wants to grow you. And the only way that God grows us is by centering us on him and centering us away from ourselves. Isn't that the story of our faith? Philippians chapter 2 is really clear. That ultimately Jesus is the one who humbled himself, knew all of glory, and did not see equality with God a thing to be grasped, but held on to, humbled himself, became a servant, even to the point of death, death on the cross. See, ultimately, I think what we do is one of two things in the middle of all of this. There's only two modes that I think that we have, which I don't think are true, are not true outside of the pandemic. I just think the pandemic made it even more clear. We have two ways of living, productively or lazily. Those are the only two things we know. We are either getting things done or we're doing nothing. The kind of nothing which consumes social media and entertainment and doesn't nourish the soul and refresh the body. And so in the middle of waiting, we've chosen one of those, haven't we? Just keep getting things done or give up. It's what 20th century theorist Neil Postman dubbed as amusing ourselves to death. Honestly, this may be the only two modes that we have. And yet the scriptures offer another one, worship. Worship is the place where we die to ourselves. See, because waiting's greatest temptation is self-centeredness. And what worship does is it completely course corrects us, draws us away from ourselves and toward the one who we actually need, God. That's what David's preaching to himself. You need God. You don't need the waiting to end. Might be another month, might be a couple more years. You need God. When was the last time you just let God take care of you in the middle of your waiting? You didn't work hard to get his attention. You didn't give up and drown yourself in distraction. You just let him take care of you. See, the beauty is, that God hasn't asked us to do something that he wasn't willing to already do himself first. See, because from eternity past, what has the Son of God done? He waited. He waited until, as Galatians 4 tells us, the fullness of time when the Father sent the Son to die on a cross for our sins. And now the Son waits again, this time to return and make heaven and earth one. Think about that. Through all the pain and confusion and disease and sin and brokenness and evil, and deception and suffering, the son waits. Can you even imagine how much he longs to put all of this to an end? Can you even imagine how much he desires to restore all of this and fix all of this? And yet he waits. Church, Jesus wants this church to be more holy than you do. Jesus, Jesus wants his kingdom to come more than we ever could. Jesus wants this world to be reborn more than we ever could possibly fathom. And yet he waits. For more people to be redeemed. He waits for his people to respond in obedience. He waits for reasons that we couldn't possibly understand. I don't know, I think knowing that Jesus waited and is waiting empowers me to wait on him. And so David's last words in Psalm 27 ring true for us. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. 
knowing that Jesus has come, we can believe that one day he's going to come again. And so we wait. Like the faithful women and men who loved the Lord long before we were ever born, as they longed for the first advent, now we wait for the second, the return of Christ. And on that day, you're not going to wait anymore. You'll know the fullness of what David's hope is anchored in, and we'll know the fullness of the promises that God has made. See, waiting is so much a part of this story, we can't even fathom the age to come. It's a time where there's no more waiting. Isn't that the beauty of it? That in this life, the great weight of the Christian life is reading the truths of God and longing for them to be fulfilled in our time. In the age to come, there's a different weight. It's just the weight of glory. It's the weight of no more waiting. And we get to rest in that. Because of that future assurance, we can wait. We can praise God. We can confess to God. We can cry out to God. All of this is our worship so that our souls would be at rest even if our feet are tired. Heavenly Father, help us to be a people who wait well, who wait with hope, who wait with joy. Forgive us for the ways in our own hustle and our own laziness we neglect you and we neglect worship. Help my sisters, help my brothers as you lift them up on a sure foundation to know that you are the God who through Jesus there is a yes and amen for every one of the promises that you have made. And so we wait and we wait on the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.